0: Holy Spirit of God, we breathe into your, in your presence together this evening with gratitude. Father, we're aware that we're on a praying campus right now. We sense Your work. And we thank You, Lord, for what You are doing. We thank You for what You are going to do. God, speak to us together now, from Your Word, through Your Spirit. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles with me if you would like and turn with me to 1st Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. Lori had just completed her freshman year at a Nazarene College. She had moved home, I should say we had moved home to our parents house for the summer and we were both working at the same place uh, at, the, uh, at about the same time. Uh, Lori My younger sister and I uh, had uh, always been close and uh, we had the opportunity that summer to spend a lot of time together and one of the things that began to happen was God began to lay on our hearts a tremendous burden for a family member that we cared very, very deeply about who was going through some, some really, really rough times we talked, we prayed, she came to me one day and she looked at me and she said, Alan, I really believe that God is calling us to band together, you and me, to band together, to tell no one, but to fast and to pray for three days for God to do something in this relative's life. Well, as she was speaking, the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and said, Alan, this is for me, I want you to do this. Well, we, I'm a third generation Nazarene, I am now a, a Nazarene by birth and by choice, uh, and, and so I grew up with prayer and fasting for missions, any of you remember that, the little cards every Friday, gave your money to missions instead of eating on Friday at lunch was the typical way it went, so, so I knew about fasting, at you know, fast a meal here and there, in college even a day here and there, that kind of thing, but three days, whoa! That's a long time. I mean, that's two plus one. That's, that, that just felt like a, a really, really long time to me. And I was, but it was the first time either one of us had ever fasted for, for that long. And, and yet we knew that the need was so tremendous. And we cared so deeply and so passionately about this family member. And, and so we set a date and we began our fast Now, we were working 10 hours a day and commuting about an hour each way and those were three of the longest days I ever experienced in my life. I thought I was going to die. Any of you ever been there? I thought I was gonna die, but you know what? Here I stand. I didn't die. Here is what did happen though. As I was praying. And fasting. Every time my stomach would scream at me, Alan, feed me, you negligent person, take care of my needs. Every time my stomach would rage at me, I would remember that God had called me to this and that God would speak to me and would remind me that I was there to stand in the gap on behalf of this individual for whom I cared so deeply and God would say pray, my stomach would say eat, and God would say pray and I watched what God did I remember sitting in a McDonald's, we had to drive 20 miles to the nearest McDonald's, you have to understand where we grew up, to the nearest McDonald's, where we went together that night to break our fast. As we looked at each other, and we celebrated together, A, God had gotten us through it and we were still alive, but more importantly... What God had done in the life of this person for whom we cared so deeply in that specific time, circumstances, attitudes, things that we weren't sure could happen, happened. God answered our prayers. I am convinced, church, that God hears and wants to answer every one of our prayers. God is looking, God is looking for a people who will partner together with Him in prayer to achieve His purposes. Let me say that again. When God's people pray, God chooses to unleash his power in partnership with us to achieve his purposes in the lives of people, undoing circumstances, in the church, around the world. When God's people pray, God chooses to act. 1 Kings chapter 18 is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. My kids hate hearing that line because they say, Dad, every story in the Bible is one of your favorite stories in the Bible. But it's true. It's a story that I think probably most of us are familiar with. It's the story of Elijah's confrontation with King Ahab and and the prophets of Baal. Wow, what an incredibly powerful story. You remember probably Ahab was a terribly wicked king over the nation of Israel. 1 Kings chapter 16 verse 30 says, Ahab did more evil than all the kings who had come before him. Now that was a lot they had done a lot of bad things. He and his wife Jezebel led Israel away from worshiping and serving the one true God to worship the gods of other peoples Baal and Asherah and other gods. They led them not only into worshiping these other gods but as they began to worship these other gods that led them further and further away because the practices that were involved in worshiping these other gods led them into deeper and deeper forms of immorality and all kinds of things that led them further and further away from God and His purpose for His people. So finally God sent Elijah, and Elijah said, Ahab, my translation, Ahab, God's had it. It's not going to rain until I say so as God's spokesperson for the next few years. Then Elijah just kind of disappears, and we hear the story. Three and a half years later, Elijah reappears. And he confronts Ahab and he calls for a confrontation between God and the gods of Ahab and Jezebel. It says that 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah gathered together to confront Elijah on Mount Carmel. And he laid out how it was going to happen. You do your sacrifice, I'll do God's sacrifice, and we'll see which God answers with fire. Ooh, good idea, the people said. Elijah said, there's so many of you, you go first. So they did. There was their altar. They laid the wood, they slaughtered the bull, they put everything there, and then they began to do all the things that they did as a part of their cultic ritual of, of worshiping and calling on the name of their God, cutting themselves and dancing and throwing themselves and other kinds of things that they did. And all day long, they called out on the name of their God and, and, and no fire. As the afternoon wore on, Elijah got bored. And so he began to taunt them. And say mean and unkind things to them that we'd be reprimanded for in Sunday school. But he said them anyway, and we all enjoy it. And finally, as the time for the evening sacrifice was approaching, Elijah said, enough is enough. Come here to the people of Israel. And they gathered around God's altar, which had been allowed to fall into disrepair. And he began to repair it. And then he took and he laid out the sacrifice. And he had them pour tons of water over it. Slight exaggeration, but lots of water over it. Soaked everything, gallons in a trench around it. You remember the story. And then he stepped back and he prayed this simple prayer. Oh Lord, it's verse 36 of 1 Kings chapter 18 if you're looking. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all of these things at your command. And then fire fell from heaven. And burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the altar and the water and the trench all the way around everything. And the people, you can imagine, you know, I was picturing it this afternoon. I was looking out there in the apostles' court. Which way is the apostles' court? I always point in the wrong direction. I had it right. The apostles' court. And I was thinking, what if we were standing around and fire just fell from heaven and just burned up? You know, the tower there in the center with the bells on it. Wouldn't that be unbelievable? What would we do? How would we respond in that kind of situation? And the people were overwhelmed they fell on their faces before God and it says they cried out the Lord he is God the Lord he is God and Elijah said good you got it grab the prophets he took them down to the valley at the bottom of the mountain he killed all of them and then at that point you would think wow he won this incredible encounter surely Elijah has had a very good day but this is where the part of the story gets fascinating to me because Elijah wasn't finished yet. Elijah then told Ahab, go, verse 41 I think it is, go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. Now please, understand it hasn't rained for three and a half years and there is not a cloud in the sky. But Elijah said, go and eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. Some teachers think that uh, perhaps everyone there had been fasting that entire day as a part of this big event. And that what Elijah was saying is, Ahab, now you can go celebrate. God has achieved his purposes. You go break your fast, have a party, celebrate he sent him on his way. But notice Elijah. Now hang with me colleagues, I know what I'm doing and I know what you're thinking and you know judge me later but hang with me, okay? Elijah didn't eat, didn't celebrate, instead what does it say that he did? Elijah climbed back up to the top of Mount Carmel, got on his face before God, buried his face in his knees and prayed until he got an answer. Elijah prayed until God answered his prayer. Elijah prayed, let me... Elijah prayed with an incredible level of power. One of the things that fascinates me about Elijah here in the scripture is that none of the recorded prayers of Elijah are particularly long. None of the recorded prayers of Elijah are particularly eloquent, but every prayer he prayed had tremendous power. How did he pray with such power? That's the question that I ask. How did Elijah pray with so much power in his prayers? And some of you are probably saying, well duh, Alan, he was Elijah. You know, of course he prayed with power. And in me, I'm thinking, well, yeah. I mean, I want to go with that. I want to agree with you. He was Elijah. Of course he was able to pray with power. But have you read James chapter 5 lately? James chapter 5 verse 17 says this. Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly and it did not rain for three and a half years and he prayed again and the rains came. James says Elijah was a man just like us. You know what James is saying, don't you? He's saying you and I can pray with the same kind of power that Elijah prayed with. You're saying, come on, Alan. How can we pray like Elijah? I mean, you know, that's stretching it, isn't it, chaplain? I mean, you know, come on. How can we pray like Elijah? What if we could? You know just just for a minute what if we could how do you think we would do that what would it look like how would we get there praying with power let's look at it can we praying with power praying the way that Elijah prayed is first of all praying with faith would you agree with that it's praying with faith. Elijah believed in God. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, God had given Elijah a definite promise. It says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So, Elijah had God's promise. His trust, his faith was firmly fixed in God and in the promise that God had given to him. Elijah believed God very much. And he believed that the promise that God had given to him was absolutely real. But notice, even though he had complete faith, trust in God, Elijah still had some praying to do. God has given us a lot of promises in His Word, hasn't He? But we still have some praying to do. God has promised us that if we will pray in faith, and if we will be faithful to Him, that He will take care of all of our financial needs. God has promised us that if we will pray in faith, He will heal the sick. He will strengthen the weak. He will protect us from the enemy. He will deliver us from temptation. He will lift us up when we are discouraged. And church, God has promised us that when we pray in faith, The gates of hell will not be able to stand against us. Wow. Praying with power means praying with faith in God and in His promises to us. It also means that like Elijah, if we are going to pray with that kind of power that we have to shut our eyes to the conditions around us. Look at what he did. Elijah was in northern Israel. You know and I know that on the east and on the south that much of Israel borders on desert. And so for it not to rain for a year even a couple of years was not incredibly unusual, For it not to rain for three and a half years anywhere on this planet is interesting. There aren't very many places where that is not a a tremendous thing. And that was certainly true there. It hadn't rained for three and a half years. And he was trusting God that he was going to reverse that immediately in answer to his prayers. Sometimes we have to shut our eyes if we're really going to pray with power like Elijah did last year. Last year, we had a student on campus here at Nazarene Bible College, a good and godly man who'd been here for a couple of years. He went to his doctors because he wasn't feeling well, and his doctor looked him in the eye and he said, I have bad news, you have cancer. Not only that, the cancer is in your bones. Not only that, you have at most six months to live. Six months to live. But he believed God. You see, God spoke to him, and this is what he said to me, and I know he said to many of us here. He said, God has said to me, and I'm sure God has said it to me over and over again, that he is not finished with me yet. God is going to heal me. He has told me that he is, that he is not finished with me yet. While he was taking the pain medication that the doctors were giving him, and the t- clock was ticking. Finally, he did reasonable things. He moved back home with his family so that no matter what happened, his wife and family would be cared for, but he continued to trust and believe. As we talked on the phone before he left here, we prayed with him, we gathered, we anointed him here at this altar. We prayed over him for God's healing and he continued to do all the right things, but he continued to trust and believe God. He shut his eyes to the conditions and he trusted God. He got home. He went to Johns Hopkins Medical Center, not a slouch place to go. Went to those doctors there. They looked at all of the tests that he had had run here in Colorado. They ran a battery of additional tests on him, and they came, called him in and said, Ray, we completely agree with your doctors in Colorado. You had cancer. But, Ray, you don't have cancer anymore. You don't have cancer cancer anymore. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Elijah got on his face, put his head between his knees, shut out the conditions around him. Praying with power means concentrating your faith on the Lord's promises to you, shutting out the conditions around you, and focusing on God. It also means persisting in those prayers. Elijah didn't give up the first time he prayed and didn't get an answer. He sent the servant back, didn't he? Twice, three times, four times, seven times. Can you imagine what might have happened if Elijah had stopped at the sixth time? Now, please don't misunderstand me. You know, I know all my colleagues here have their hearts in their throats. Faith may shut out the conditions but faith still knows the facts. Faith isn't stupid or blind. Faith isn't burying your head in the sand like an ignorant ostrich. Faith knows the conditions but faith will not allow negative conditions to stop power-filled prayer. Sometimes I've seen good and godly people miss God's miracle in their lives because they gave up too soon. Jesus Himself said, Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking because it is those who persist who receive the answers for which they are seeking. Elijah didn't get an answer those first six times he prayed. You may not either. Powerful prayer is faith-filled prayer that shuts out the negative conditions and it continues and continues and continues in prayer. When I am holding on to one of God's promises, when I am seeking God in prayer and I know know that I am claiming one of God's promises. I will not let go. I will continue to pray and believe that God is going to answer that prayer until He answers the prayer or He redirects my prayer. And that's up to Him. He's God. Power-filled prayer persists. Power-filled prayer is faith-filled, shutting out conditions, persisting. But the greatest support that I know to prayer, the greatest support I know to power and prayer is when I combine fasting together with prayer. When God said that he was going to destroy Israel for making the golden calf at Mount Sinai, what did Moses do? Right after he got down off that mountain, he climbed back up on that mountain. He threw himself on his face before God. He did not eat or drink for another 40 days. Read it again. Another 40 days and did nothing but intercede with God for the nation of Israel. And God relented. When multiple armies were invading Israel, King Jehoshaphat called. Good King Jehoshaphat. I like the good kings. Called for a day of fasting and prayer and God delivered them. When Ezra was returning from captivity with that small band of people that he was bringing back from captivity and he realized they had no protection on the roads that they were going to travel and it was a very dangerous place to travel, he stopped them and he called for a day of fasting and prayer for God's protection over them and God protected them on their journey. When Jesus himself was preparing to begin his ministry He fasted and prayed for 40 days and overcame the temptation from the enemy to take shortcuts to reach God's purpose and plan for his ministry. Elijah, in our story, sent Ahab off to eat and drink, but Elijah went back up the mountain to pray. And you know what I like about this passage? There are so many delightful passages that I could have selected for our time together this evening. But what captures me is this. When I think about this passage as it relates to fasting, all we know for sure from the text is that Elijah skipped one meal. Do you see that? We don't know if they fasted that day. You know, that's just anybody's guess. But we know this. He sent everybody else off to have a party and eat supper. And he went up the mountain and got on his face before God and skipped one meal. Just one. I mean, I just picture it. Elijah woke up that morning and he thought, this is going to be a big day. And he prepared himself a hearty breakfast like his mother would have. And in the afternoon, as things were getting kind of boring and the prophets of Baal were doing their thing, he sent out for Chinese or something. When he was hungry, he took care of himself. But that night... That night when it was time for him to pray, he sent Ahab off to celebrate and everyone else, but he went up the mountain and skipped just one meal, and look at what God did. It was just one meal. But Elijah prayed all the way through to God's promise and saw a three and a half year drought broken. People, imagine, just imagine, What might happen if God's people would fast and pray? Fasting sharpens the edge of our intercession. It makes our prayers more passionate. It strengthens our prayers. Everything that prayer does, when I combine it together with fasting, it kicks it up a notch. Ever watch Emerald? It just kicks it, bam, kicks it up a notch. That's, That's exactly what fasting does. Why am I mixing food with that? I don't know. It causes us. It causes us to concentrate and to focus our praying and and to focus on the importance that our prayers have. When you're fasting about something specific, when I am called to fast about something, every time my stomach screams for food, and listen, it does it all the time. I like to eat. Just in case you're wondering, God has called me to do a lot of fasting and prayer. I like to eat. I like meals. I like snacks between meals. I like snacks between snacks. I have animal crackers in my office and I snack on those in between snacks. like food. But I believe, I believe that God calls us, church, to fast and pray. And when we do, look what God can do. He strengthens our prayers. He strengthens our faith. Don't misunderstand me. Fasting is not some kind of a spiritual hunger strike that causes God to do something that he doesn't want to do. God wanted God wanted to forgive Israel. That's why he called Moses up there to intercede for them. It is joining together with God where we achieve great purposes. It is embracing God's promises in prayer where we can have faith to believe that nothing is impossible with God. It strengthens my faith to believe that God can and will do what I ask. When I fast and pray, God strengthens my faith and he gives me more boldness to ask. When I'm fasting, it's not like I'm looking at God and saying, okay, God, you owe me something. The only thing God owes me is hell for my sin. Everything else is a grace gift. But when I'm fasting and when I'm praying, it's like my children when they were small used to come over and grab my pant leg and pull and say, daddy, I want, I want, and I with all my heart want to deliver. I pay attention to that and I come with great boldness to God and I say, Daddy, I want God. I'm realizing that there is no other answer but you. No one can help us but you and I come to him and say, God, help us. You must help us right now. I believe God that you will help us and when we fast, we are more focused on our prayers. Can I be honest for just a minute? There are a lot of church services that I attend where I am firmly convinced people are much more concerned about what they are going to be having for lunch after the service is over than they are about what God might do in the service. Fasting jolts us. Fasting stops that. It gets our focus off those things and onto the things of the Spirit, especially our prayer. When I'm fasting, I want to know why I'm fasting. I want to know what God is going to do. The first time God called me to do a very extended fast, God, God, He wouldn't tell me before I began this long fast what it was that I was supposed to be fasting and praying about. And, uh, but I just knew he wouldn't let me go. He cornered me and said, you must do this. I need for you to do this. And I tested it in several ways. The way I knew for absolute certain sure that it was God was because he convinced Jan that I was supposed to do it. And she asked the hard question. She's my accountability partner. But the one question she asked that I could not answer was, okay, Alan, if God has called you to this, what is he calling you to intercede for? And going into it, I didn't know. I just knew that God said, you must do this. You must do this. And day after day, as I fasted and prayed, as I entered into this time, this season of prayer and fasting, God said, I want for you to pray. And suddenly, five days into this prayer and fasting time, things started to happen. Tremendous things happened that desperately called for intercession. I didn't know this was coming, but God suddenly said to me, okay, Alan this is what you were praying for. Stay on your face before me." And I was desperate because I was fasting, God was calling, I was focused, I couldn't wait to spend more and more time in the presence of God and pray for these things because as I fasted and prayed, my faith grew that God would hear and answer, and I just wanted to get a hold of God until I saw Him change things. God wants to hear and answer our prayers. How do we pray with power? Listen, if you want to pray with power, Andrew Murray said, great African Scottish churchman, Andrew Murray said, prayer needs fasting for its full growth. Prayer, he said, is the one hand with which we grasp the invisible. And fasting is the other hand with which we let go of the visible. Did I say invisible? That was what I was supposed to say. The invisible versus the visible. John Wesley, with whom all of us are acquainted, said this. The man who does not fast is no more on his way to heaven than the man... Who does not pray. This week, NBC family, God has called us to a tremendous time of prayer. Thank you, President Graves, for being God's instrument to call us to this season of prayer. I like what we've been experiencing across the campus here at Nazarene Bible College. Amen? I want to see God do more of what he's been doing among us. We want real revival at Nazarene Bible College. I am a third generation Nazarene. I want to see revival across our denomination. And I believe that God wants to do it. Do you realize that through, uh, through Dr. Matson and his helper's efforts, we have contacted every church of the Nazarene across the United States. We've told them that we're going to be praying for them. We've collected these specific requests. But every church, the churches from which you came, the churches about which you know, every church across this denomination desperately needs for God to move on them in the ways that that we know in our hearts God wants to move. And the good news is he's promised he'll do it if he can find a people who will partner with him in prayer. Can you imagine what might happen? What might happen? When Elijah fasted one meal, God broke a a three-and-a-half-year drought. Imagine what might happen if just a handful of us committed this week to fast and pray just one meal. Just one meal. What might God do? Can you imagine what God might do if just a handful of us, just a handful, would say, I will commit this week during this time of prayer that I will fast with you, Alan, for one day, one full day this week. I will fast and pray for God to do His work at NBC and across the Church of the Nazarene. And I believe... Can you imagine? What God might do if some of us would say, I'll do even more with you, Ellen. Just a few. With one meal, with one meal, God changed that whole region. What might God do among us? What might He do? I know it does, brother. Praise the Lord. God wants to hear and answer your prayers. G.K. Chesterton, great church cynic, so I love him. Said Christianity has not been tried and found wanting, Christianity has been found difficult and therefore left untried. My paraphrase fasting hasn't been tried and found wanting fasting has been found difficult and largely church left untried. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will hear from heaven. God's promise to us. Will you covenant with me to pray to fast, to believe that God can do what He says He will do. Pray with me. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic, how marvelous, How wonderful is your name in all the earth. God, we give you glory and honor and praise because we are totally confident that you are God. There is no other. You have promised us, Lord, that if we would call on you, you would hear our cry. Father, together... We commit ourselves this week to pray, to believe, to shut out the distractions, to persist and follow and fast and pray until we hear your answer, O oh God. We are confident in you, God. We commit to partner with you in this great enterprise of kingdom building. We want revival, O Lord. We claim revival as your promise for us. And we thank you in advance for all you're going to do. Bless these men and women of faith who will join with me this week in this great enterprise. Lift them up, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.